0: If you're an education leader or visionary for improving our school mental health system, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Charlie Peck, keynote speaker and school mental health consultant. Make sure you download our free school mental health audit at thrivingeducator.org forward slash audit to assess your current system with your mental health team. Now that's thrivingeducator.org forward slash audit. Make sure you pick that up. All right, let's get started with today's episode. Hi, this is Charlie Peck with the Thriving Educator Podcast, and we have Dr. Mina Joe Blazy today. And Dr. Mina, listen, you have an incredible lens in education, and that's why you and I work so well together, because I learn from you all the time about what's going on systemically, but you're not afraid to get down to the root of the problems with mental health and wellness in, in our schools. So can you just say hello to everybody? And I, I want to welcome you.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm Dr. Mina Joe Blazy. Some people just call me Dr. Mina affectionately. And I- I'd like to give you a little bit of background about me. And only because I'm I'm a director in a small school district in Southern California, but the truth is that's not where I started. Um, I'm a mom of four kids. Um and I went from Illinois to Ohio to now Southern California, and I am a science teacher by trade, middle school. So I've seen um, emotional well-being from elementary, middle, and high school. I am a former assistant principal of a uh, seven through 12 school, STEM school. And then I had the privilege of opening a STEM elementary school. And that's a different scope. I also was an assistant principal of a comprehensive high school. That was really different than the 7-12 STEM school, which was a, a magnet school where mm-hmm. students chose to go there. The comprehensive high school had just under four thousand students, wow, which is huge when you think about it. So the dynamics between the students um, were a lot different than the 712 school where students chose and parents chose to send their kids. They wanted to be there per se. And the elementary school that I had the privilege of opening up, I was there seven years and that was a STEM school as well. So typically students wanted to be there. It was a parent choice school. It was a public school still a public school, um, but people brought their best children to the school. Like they didn't just say, I'm going to give you what, you know, my better kids. They brought the best they had mm-hmm. and whether the parent was a um, whether they had a high school diploma, didn't have one, whether I had parents that were engineers, doctors and even parents that stayed home. Um, whether it was mom, dad, or you know, uh, whatever that looked like um, in the home. So there's just a little bit about me. So, I, so you have an idea of when I start to talk about my perspective when it comes to well-being of children and their families.
0: Yes, and that is important because the work you're doing now you constantly bring that lens into your role now. So you work a lot with the data and learning and research. And so why is it so important for our leaders to understand that that's as important as the
1: groundwork we're doing, like in the buildings? Why is it important to use data? Okay, so the school district I work with um, and our county, um, I'm in the county of Riverside County Office of Education, but I work for a school district here in Southern California, Beaumont Unified School District. And we use Panorama data. And actually, the county not necessarily pushes it, but we have a lot of other partners in the county that use Panorama. And then in the state of California, we have something called the Healthy Kids Survey, and that survey, um, it, there's a huge scope there. It tells us the well-being of children. It tells us their connectedness to the school, the teachers. It tells us how their self-efficacy. And it doesn't just break it down with those um, categories. It um, We can uh, survey teachers and um, we also can survey parents. And of course, that's private information. But what I can tell you is that there's... Um, Panorama looks at the uh, United States as well, and the Healthy Kids Survey is to, is public data as well. And what it tells us is what are we doing from the beginning of the year, especially Panorama, to um, the end of the year? Are do students feel connected in the fa- classroom? Do they? It's not just about when they walk around the school. Do they feel safe? When people think of climate, they uh, school climate, the first thing they think of is. Do the kids, are there fights? Um, Are they arguing at lunchtime? Uh, Is somebody breaking in? Actually, that's not what we think about. We think about does the student feel safe enough to ask the teacher a question or I don't get it, can you help me? Do they have a self, do they have perspective or the self-efficacy of I am confident enough to say, please help me, I don't get it. So those are things that we look at. And I mean, yes, do we look at, you know, whether a student is being bullied? Do we look at what that dynamic is in the classroom? Do we look at, you know, how can we help support our educators? Because the way students were before the pandemic, aka COVID, um, is very different than after the pandemic or even during the pandemic. Well, that's important to bring up then because we need to
0: now respond to what's going on in our schools currently. And so what is different? Because uh, we know mental health and wellness was an issue before. Mental health issues were appearing in our schools before, which is why I started doing this work. But what's
1: different now that is just standing out? Um. Okay, I'm going to tell you from my principal perspective, I was still a principal when the pandemic hit. And I'm going to give you the timeline. It happened in March of 2020 and it was towards the end. And it was the Friday before our spring break Mm -hmm. is when we went off. And I remember our superintendent saying to us, oh, it's just going to be about a week. We just, you know, uh, the country just wants to slow down to try to mitigate this virus that's spreading. And if people stay home, then it'll slow down. That was this assumption. By the way, my youngest daughter was a senior in high school. No, no, a junior in high school during the 2020-21 school year, she was a senior. And it it wasn't just students that had this, you know, we're like, okay, it's spring break. You know, everybody's got spring break, but it did stop people from going on their vacations. It stopped families from going on their vacations. People didn't know what to do. They thought they had to stay inside. They were afraid to walk outside. I remember walking down the street thinking, I'm, this is my only way of exercising because this the, the, all the gyms closed too. Ugh. And I remember walking down the street. This is, It was comedy to me. And somebody crossed the street because I was walking down the street. there's a whole different perspective. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, and they were wearing a mask and I wasn't. So that, I mean, that's just a little bit. And then one other thing that happened was we had teachers that were saying, what am I going to do to educate? Like the week that they were off, they're like, okay, I'll just grade. And then it turned into the next week. And the state of California said, you just need to provide these printout packets for the students. And can you imagine parents had to be at home? Some of them had to go to work. Some of them had to um, figure out how to help their kindergarten. Some parents, I remember getting an email saying, oh my gosh, I don't know how to help my child. This was my break during the day. Mm -hmm. And I work from home anyway. How am I going to manage this? Mm -hmm. And teachers saying, I don't want to just give them packets. What can we do to give them the resources and the best instruction they could possibly get at home? So I'll pause there to let you kind of reflect on that. Yeah,
0: well, and I was a teacher at that time. I was there for as the teacher in the classroom still with those high schoolers. I was. And so I get it. I was there as that transition. And I was worried so much about these kids, but what I didn't want to do is dump on them. I didn't want this to affect a workload issue for them. And then I understanding, because what I taught, my curriculum was about all of this, right? I, I taught a lot about sociology and social ills of society and and parents and all of that. And so I was worried. And I also had a child who was a junior in high school, exact same timeline. So we know how it affected us personally, family, uh, and then at the school system. So after that is when I started, like people started paying attention to what I was talking about way more than they ever had, as you know, because you and I started those conversations together. So when you heard, right, remember, so in your role, what are you looking for in a partnership with people to come in and help mitigate the current problems?
1: What is it that is helpful? Okay, that's a good question. Um, it's big At the time, all I could think about was how am I gonna help the parents and the teachers? And as a principal, I think there's this idea that I needed to help just the students. Um, our role as principals is to directly help su- the support staff the teachers, and the community. It's the teacher's role to help the students. So I immediately said, okay, what are we going to do to get them going? So we provided cameras right away. We figured out how to give them access to cameras. We figured out how to go live on Zoom because we immediately bought it for the entire district. Hmm. We also realized, um, and that probably was about four weeks in, But Zoom, so grateful for Zoom, the company, opened up where you could go live at an extended period of time. Because right now, if you want to use Zoom for free, it's like 45 minutes or 30 minutes and it shuts down. Right. So we, so I, I mean, I used Zoom, you know, through my doctorate program, I used, but I still wasn't proficient. I knew I needed to, you know press join. (laughs) And there I was, I didn't know how to chat. I didn't know how to share my screen, nothing. So I went on this full, like learning um, thing where I was going to go into YouTube and figure out how to do zoom so that I could train all the teachers. So, um, I mean, that's what I did immediately. And this, this changed the perspective of what I was doing. And here's what else we did as a community. And this was over that whole year. And I have to say, I um, from a parent perspective, that's another conversation. But um, I had to learn how to be a um, a parent where my daughter was home, and she was older, so it was a little different. But I had to help teachers become active with kindergartners because just imagine what it's like to have twenty five little ones on a screen and parents in the background that want to be a part of this conversation. Mm-hmm. What we decided was we were going to help parents give them every resource. I was going to, I was available almost 24 seven. And I wanted them to be so good that they didn't need me. And I also wanted parents to feel supported because parents were like, they would call me. I would zoom with them. We learned how to do IEPs via zoom and they would just cry. And I had to learn how to let them cry. And I have to say that I had like an exhaustion because I was taking on everyone's emotions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had to learn how to mitigate that because I had no connection to the world, which we should probably talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, But we found that parents, because we had already had a community that, that was connected That is huge. Like if you're a principal or um, uh, a district leader or a teacher and you connect with your students and your families right away, they will do almost anything for you. So we had that already. And what they did is parents learned is they took the protocols from um, uh, the... the California Department of Education of what you should do to keep safe. They talked to their community, the parents that knew each other, and they started to bring kids into the home as long as they were safe, as long as they weren't exposing themselves to other people so other parents could go to work. They shared these mini cohorts Mm -hmm. and that changed what we were doing as a school. There were teachers that And I'm not saying this worked for everybody, because I know that the, my um, other principals were saying, I don't know what to do. This is exhaustion, exhausting. There were teachers leaving. They were like, I'm not doing this. It's too much. Mm-hmm. And we had to honor that. And I honor, I said, if you can't, let me know. And that's what we did. But we, we learned that we had to learn with our community. And I asked them for permission to fail. And they were OK with it. But But the foundation was the connectedness to the school. And what—that's what's so huge about what you know when we partner um, with thriving schools—is how can we connect with teachers? First of all, I can't do it all. Our teachers can't do it all, and there's this assumption that they should just know it all. They mm-hmm. don't. They don't. And and undergrad or graduate programs—they provide—they provide emotional well-being training, but what they don't pr- provide necessarily is the actual incidences that happen. And I mean, the kids that are freaking out, screaming at you, calling you names, even on Zoom, um, putting things actually in the chat, because that was a thing, or finding out that they have access to email and email blasting because they have access. We had to stop and pause and think about what we were going to do differently. So I'm going to pause and let you respond a little bit to that.
0: Yeah, well, there are definitely a lot of ways to go there, and it's it's important that you kept coming back to that word community and connection. And again, I mean, people who know the work that we do, it's it's a thriving school community that is the solution. I mean, we have to have that, and that's when we overcome any kind of crisis. Is when we have that connection. That's individually what I saw, even in hospital situations. Uh, individually with kids, teens, and their families, but it was community-wide when they could receive kids back into schools properly or not, right? So it is, it does extend out. And so it's important to talk about that connection and community, but uh, Dr. Blasey, what I'm hearing from a lot of people is that they don't know how to do that. They keep hearing that we need to do this. We know it's important. Uh, We know that we've got to teach kids skills. We know we have to support the adults how do we do that? So,
1: what do you notice that does actually work, and that you're hoping to do more of? Okay, so I I want to refer back to when um, Thriving Schools, um, you, um, Charlie, and Dr. Cam came out. One of the most attended sessions, whether it was via the Zoom at the beginning or when you were in person with us, was teachers helping themselves, I, and I don't quite remember the name of that session, but learning how you are with other people, learning how to respond when the kid calls you the B word. I almost want to say it. When the kid says your breath smells like coffee or the kid says whatever it is, How are you like, how do you not take it personally so that you can respond in a way that isn't um, going to now trigger this child whose brain isn't fully developed, who is like, oh, especially if they're teenagers, like it's on, it's combative and you don't want to get yourself in that cycle. And that, that is the part that I believe as administrators, as site leaders, that we have a responsibility to help the teachers and the support staff first so how can you tell a child you shouldn't be doing that and let me let me correct myself not shouldn't because that's a word um (laughs) that is inappropriate and let me tell you why instead of don't do that when kids don't know why you're asking them to do something they're going to continue to do it because it works for me and it's always worked for me, so therefore I'm going to still do that. And I'm thinking of a scenario, and I don't really want to out any teachers. And and I'm going to go back into when I was um, an assistant principal, and actually I'm going to do it as a principal. I had a uh, a teacher that was just very upset with a student, and it didn't matter what this st- the student was angry. The student was throwing things, and the idea was you need to get this kid out of here. You need to make this child. Imagine saying this to a six-year-old. Imagine, uh, and the child is hearing this. The, so the, the, the student and I thought, you know, if, not, if the adult didn't know how to at least tell me that this is how they felt. This could have been going on and no one else knew. Mm-hmm. And children at that age don't know how to tell you, you know, this is really inappropriate and I really don't like how I feel right now. And therefore, if you can continue, I'm going to walk out of the classroom. No. First of all, middle school and high school kids can't do that either. right? And so we came up with, um, with, um, a system where we were going to not, we can control us. Like I am a fan of, you can, can you, you can choose to control what you do. You cannot choose to make someone do say, do something, Mm -hmm. but if you can teach them how to self-control. Then you can change the dynamic of a classroom, a school climate, you know, whatever, wherever you are on that campus, even at home for that matter. And so this teacher, it was adamant, get this kid out of here, like upset, you know, calling. And I came into the classroom and I said, okay, why don't everybody leave? And we're going to take a five minute recess and your teacher is going to take you. And and we had a team that would come in and work with this student. A couple of things happened. One, we remove the center of attention away from, you know, child that is like, I'm going to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, it gave everyone the ability to see that they can control what they're doing. But when you're in an environment that feels uncontrollable, mm-hmm. every time you can just walk away. And that was one. Of the, so when you guys came out, you and Dr. Cam, when you came out and helped teachers see that, um, at our, even in the district that I'm in. It changes how we feel. It makes you realize that I don't have to control that over there. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Let it happen. Mm-hmm. And if they're breaking things, guess what? Because that's a worry. Like, oh, my gosh, they're breaking things. They're throwing things. You no, know, it's stuff. Yeah. It's stuff. And, 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 and I want to say one other thing before I let you respond to this. I'll never forget when my grandmother passed away. I miss my grandmother. It's been a while. But I said to my mother, and it's still comedy to this day, Oh my gosh, she forgot her purse. And my mother and I laughed because we realized out loud, and we know this, you can't take it with you. So stuff, if they damage it, you can replace it. And if you can't, I'm sorry, but the human is what's important. So what are we going to do with that? So yeah, I still laugh at that because it was so funny. And then I was like, oh, my grandpa forgot his wallet. We were just, you know, it's those things that I think about, like it's just stuff just worry about you and then the other students in the classroom and we'll figure out the rest. Yeah. And just you saying it, especially in a leadership position, giving them permission to do
0: that. A lot of times they don't really know what to do. And I always say this, you know, this Mina is when we don't know what to do, we either do the same things that we were trying to do before that just don't work or we do nothing and we pause or we we don't pause, we freeze and (laughs) right. And it, Both are are ineffective, (laughs) but if we're ill-equipped or unequipped, we don't have the confidence to stay in that moment. We get emotionally charged and fearful, which, you know, is very brain-based. So sometimes people, teachers, especially, because I remember the role, I know that's what I think we need to equip them first. That's a different conversation. But if they are showing up more confidently and with tools and skills that they can just infuse into everyday practice, like I always say to them, because we've been doing this a few years now and now I have a lot of perspective here. So many times when I'm in a session doing professional development and there'll be a teacher saying, well, what about when my kid has yelled back at me and thrown something? And I said, well, what we need to do is first of all, notice ourselves getting that emotional charge. And we talk about what's going on in the brain, but then showing up in the body. They don't talk about, Mm -hmm. guess where I talked about that with people in therapy, but why are we not bringing this into the classroom to notice ourselves first? And then what did you notice about that kid before he was going to yell or she was going to yell? What did you notice about their shift? What did you notice? And so if we're not taught or trained to do this, then it's overwhelming and it gets out of control. But there's so many strategies like that. People don't realize it's easily easy to infuse into everyday practice to
1: prevent these things from occurring in the first place. Yeah, um, it, okay, so when I was in the classroom, there was a student and and I this was 2006 or seven, and there was many scenarios. And there was this one scenario where, um, you know, middle school, five-minute passing period, I had to use the restroom. I went to the restroom. The students all knew, just kind of wait outside, line up so we're not in the hallway. And I say hallway, even though California is more like outside hallway, this happened to be a corridor. Mm -hmm. And the student was in the line and I just said, you know, just be patient. I'll be with you. And I don't know where it came from. I don't think he knows where it came from, but I'm going to say it. He said, he called me a bitch. I'm saying it. I'm maybe I'm not I supposed am. to say it, but I'm saying it. I say it. And there was this PE teacher walking through the corridor and he saw me. I mean, I, nothing in me would have wanted to hurt this child, but what he saw was me raise up like, like I turned into mama, you know, what I probably would have yelled at my own kids for saying, like he saw, I mean, every, I mean, I'm all a five, two and a half. And the, you know, middle schoolers could be six feet. This kid was big. Yeah. And I looked like the the look that I had with this kid. <laughs> it was the, I don't think so look. Yeah, And he came over and he said, at the time it was Mrs. Blazy. He said, Mrs. Blazy, I'm going to take this student over to the office right now. And you go ahead and, you know. You know, get things done. And and actually, I remember... I, oh, my gosh. I just... I remember it was like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I was so upset with this student. And I'm going to tell you why. Because culture... There's some cultural things here. Yeah, um, You can see me. The, the, the world sees me as a Black female. I'm biracial. No one sees my mom's white part. But that's what they see. This was a Black African-American child who said this. And for me... All these things were going through my head after this happened. I, what is his mother going to say? What is his father going to say? Oh my gosh, like this. And I, you know, I didn't want this child to go home and be suspended. But at the same time, I was so angry that, you know, we have to do something to calm the class around, classroom down and and do things differently. But when the student came back from, you know, this discipline, uh, first of all, I called both mom and dad, mom blamed dad and dad blamed mom. It was kind of funny. Of course. <laughs> um, they were like, oh, will we move him from your class? I said, no, no, because I needed to learn what was happening with me. And th- this is hard. Um, it was hard for me because it could be embarrassing, but I also needed to, the other students to know that we're going to accept him back in the classroom and that when children, that's huge to me. That's huge. When that's children big. make mistakes we forgiving them for that mistake. Because I talked to him and I said, I want to know, I forgive you. I also want to know that this is what you did to me. It just hurt to the core. I talked to him a little bit differently. I asked the parents if, if it was okay. And using that word as to why it upset me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully you'll some people are really listening to this. Like this is a cultural, like whatever those words are, like that was like a full on, it it sent me to another place. Mm-hmm. But bringing him back taught the class a lesson too. Like, it's okay to, you know, make a mistake. No one's perfect. And when, you know, I'm just going to say it, his, his, whatever was happening before his amygdala took over, that part of the brain, it's like, I'm in, you know, I'm in fight, flight, freeze, or fold, whatever. For me, it was taken over. And that I was very grateful for that PE teacher that walked by because I don't know what, if I would have said something to him that I couldn't have taken back. Yeah. So, I'm you sure know, you your, your peers as teachers knowing too. So yeah. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are about that, but wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's huge. Okay. It's huge for a lot of reasons. Number one, in
0: my mind, I keep thinking of all the teachers who would be so pissed off that there's nothing punitive and that why are not you allowing that kid back in my space? And why are you not Suspend right. So let's talk about that first because that is what teachers want. Now in and let's also let's say this too. It's not that there's not a consequence for behavior. And if people have trauma or issues, we don't let that excuse behavior. So you're not excusing his behavior. So can you address that? Because so many people say that and they don't want us to teach SEL because they think it's too soft and giving kids an out. And I say, if that's happening, it's because we're not doing it correctly. So
1: what do you say about teachers who will push back on that approach? Um, I want to address the pushing back on that approach um, as well as saying that I think social emotional learning, like you said, it has a bad rap there first. I think we need to learn about what that really is. And it's really learning how to, you know, self discipline, self regulate and understanding who we are. Um, But when we have teachers will push back on this and a lot of times, it could be their culture from the perspective of they may, may maybe, um, It may have been in education for a while. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this because I was born in the 70s. We'll just, I'm a full on Gen Xer. There was corporal punishment in the classroom. I remember it. I remember what it looked like. A kid could get paddled with um, like this board in the classroom. And it was, you won't do this again. I'm going to embarrass you. And therefore, it's over, which doesn't work for kids. Because we're we're punishing them or giving them a consequence that doesn't fit what happened.
0: Oh, I can't hear. I can't hear. We'll know what happened. Can you hear me though? Are you able to hear me?
1: I want to be sure you can hear me. I'm going to my I- mic. Okay. okay. Got it. Can you hear me? I can hear we'll you. Cut that out. Fine. I will. Um, <laughs> no worries. Okay. Can you hear me? I can
0: absolutely hear you. You got me. Oh, I yeah. couldn't. Oh. Hear oh, there. oh, there. Oh, there. Okay,
1: good. All right. All right. Let me go back to it. I'm glad you noticed that you couldn't hear me, but you know, we'll cut that out. <laughs> fine. That's, and, fine. And, That's fine. Um, no, it happens. But there's um, feedback now. Do you hear feedback? Oh, no, it's gone now. It's gone now. That's so bizarre. No, okay. it's, you know that's this is technology. This uh-uh. is technology. <laughs> okay, so so go I on. um and I want to make sure that I answer the, the the question about you know the perspective of teachers and what they're what what happens with them. Um, just to go back, I remember what that looked like. I really remembered what it looked like um, from my perspective as a child. And you were you did what you were told. You didn't talk back to the teacher. And I'm not saying you know the the whole talk back is ambiguous because, you know, sometimes it's just a question or I don't want to do that or you can't make me isn't, you know, that, that idea. There's a reason why there's always a why behind what's happening. And the reason we have to help educators really look at what's happening before what's happening with the, the trigger piece or what has happening right before will, you know, is, is profound. And for me um, when it happened, I think that I mean, it was actually part of my undergrad program. It's not part of everybody's program. Um, and I went to school in Illinois. But I think that looking at what a teacher is doing and what is happening so that we don't jump into the chaos. And and there's a word. It is a um, it is a tribal word. It is called Nepantla. It is from the Nahuatl tribe. And I hopefully I'm not seeing that too poorly. But what it means is to be in the chaos without becoming part of the chaos. Mm -hmm. And that is really difficult. It's difficult for principals. It's difficult for teachers. And it's even more difficult for children. But we have, we have the ability to say, I don't need to, I just need to hear what's happening. I don't need to, it's called being reflexive like typically we reflect after something happens oh i could have not done that but if you can you know have some strategies to breathe and think about what's happening before you respond that is huge for educators and there it's i hate to use the word they're not trained but there's this assumption that educators are just supposed to know better. And that's not fair. Everything is a learning experience. And we have an obligation to help guide educators see what that looks like. And um, and we bring in our biases, I, 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 our implicit biases that no one knows that we're not going to tell anybody. And um, But when we can process through that, it helps you as an educator support staff or principal to get ahead of what, whatever that issue is. And I feel, I mean, I, I, I want to tell a quick story, but I'm gonna let you jump in because I, there's one other, this one's a funny one, but it could have been a bad situation. So I'll let you go ahead.
0: Well, no, I mean, I now want to dive into that because it's so relevant to what we're talking about. Just go ahead and tell it. I love it.
1: Let's okay. go. Okay. Yes. So, um, and this, this student is amazing. He's knows I tell this story all the time. Um, he is now working as a probation officer and I won't say his name, uh, even though I'm sure he'd be fine with it. Mm -hmm. And this was eighth grade and we were learning about the periodic table and he did a couple of things. This was a highly gifted class and he was asking questions about the periodic table. Um, we were talking about the metalloids. And we were talking, probably is irrelevant, but we were talking about, um, I'm just going to say the name of this element, silicone. Okay. And he said, is that the stuff they use in breast implants? And I said, it's used in many products. And uh, I said, yes, it, it, and I had to, you know, agree and answer that question. And I asked the others, you know, they giggled and I let the giggle happen. And I said, are there, you know, that is a cosmetic thing. And why do we think that happens? Why do you think people do this? And one other student actually said, you know, I have a family member that had a double mastectomy and it was, and she wanted to feel normal. So she did get those breast implants. So if I did not allow that to happen, Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, students wouldn't have heard the profound positive to that. Right. You know, the giggle stopped, but learning happened. And I'm not saying if, you know, and it's like seventh graders learning about the anatomy of the body. They're going to laugh. You're going to let them laugh because until they get it all out, they're not going to learn. That's one thing. The other thing that, um, one of my students did. And you know what I look like. I've already said it. This student just went on just a bit of a tangent. And, and I don't know if we were talking about stereotypes. I taught science, but that's what he said. He said, Mrs. Blazy, like very confident, like his self-efficacy was out of, you know, you know, on top of a mountain. He was <laughs> confident. <laughs> Do you like who laid? And I said, sometimes. And he said, do you like chicken? I said, absolutely. And he said, do you like watermelon? I said, actually, I don't. He said, well, that doesn't really fit the stereotype. Mm. And <laughs> I just laughed. One, it was there were two ways that, that could have gone. The kids were like eyes wide open. And I laughed. It allowed the kids to laugh. And it allowed me to just for a moment to say, you see what happens when we have perspectives about things that aren't necessarily true? And and we talked a little bit about it because he brought up the old cartoons and things like that. And I said, and these were, by the way, these were kids that when I got more information, they were part of the debate team. Uh They were picking my brain to use me as a I can give you evidence that that's not true, but had I, and we don't let children or students do that. Yeah. And that's, what's profound. So I, I thought I wanted, I just wanted to share that moment with you because it was fun. It was learning and I just let it happen. <laughs> well, no, it's good because, and I think that's what a huge benefit for me is
0: when I worked in Canada, I got to teach in Canada and they're way more accepting. There's a lot more you can. Could- essentially get away with talking about in a Canadian classroom because they are so (laughs) open-minded. And I grew up in the American system, though, don't get me wrong. And then I work with a lot of districts across this country. So I do have some perspective, but it is nice to be able, again, to feel confident enough about who you are that you're gonna create a secure space for kids to learn in. And that you know that something like that is profound, can be profound if you allow that space but it goes back to having that connection and trust with them too, because that's when that learning deepens. So it's, it, it's, those stories are really powerful. I, I appreciate them. And I, I wonder, like, it keeps going back to, it's, we've got to teach people basics about their brain and their body responses and that implicit bias. I thought I knew, because I, t- I told you, I taught the curriculum for 18 years to high schoolers. One of the most right. important things I did was teach them how their brain worked. And so when I went to write, you know, because we talk about this all the time and how important it is, but we're always teaching kids and expecting them to get better. And then we throw them right back into those environments where the adults aren't equipped, they're not equipped and they don't have that knowledge. We don't learn child development as teachers necessarily. We don't really get the kind of training we need, especially if we're going into middle school or high school and understanding the teen or adolescent brain. So okay that's a lot to say there. It's a lot to say there. And I'm trying to think of like what is the next step then? What what needs to happen where we are in our system today with the problems that you're seeing and that with all of your wisdom and insight here, what is the next step to make education better for
1: kids? That's a good question. I like the question. And it brings me back to even a session that you and Dr. Cam had um, when this, this teacher had that light bulb moment. And we probably should bring that up a little bit. Yes. Um, I think what it does is it tells us as administrators that we have to actually let teachers come together, especially if you're a principal, come together. It doesn't have to be a staff meeting. It, uh, you can use restorative practices if you want. Um, you can ask questions. And that question could be what is going on in the classroom that you feel like you should control, but you can't like, it doesn't matter. And it sends you to a whole new place of it. It helps It makes you feel like you are out of control in your classroom because you can't control either that student, that situation, how you feel, and what is it and, and give, and here's the thing. If I was doing this, I would give, I'd like to make sure everybody has a voice because just like we are in leadership or in education, uh, not all teachers will talk. So I like that to be a silent moment. I like to give them what the big stickies, I mean, they're big stickies. They're so much fun. Mm -hmm. Um, they're like a three by five or just slightly bigger or like half sheet of paper size stickies. And you have them write it out. Um, you have them write it out and then you put it on the wall. And then you have them take a few minutes um, and you ask them to, you said, we're going to share out. So, and it's, and give them a safe space to and say everything that happens in here, you say what you mean, don't use student names and just say it. And then you have them go to the wall and just read them like around, just read how they feel. Mm-hmm. And then you start from where they are, be, just like children. There's this assumption that I can't believe you did that. How could you yell at that child? We don't know what's going on. And like, tell me what it is. And you will, the the surprising thing is that you will get information from teachers that will say, I can't seem to get myself under control because my husband is going through chemo. Things you didn't know. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, you know, things that, uh, and I can't seem to feel better because I feel like I'm not connected to my partner teachers I can't seem to get get this together because this one student takes over the class and I don't know how to do this I feel like a failure like they will tell you things if you build that type of community with them that's i believe that's where we that's the next step mm-hmm. let tell let teachers tell you support staff tell you the truth and believe it or not parents too. And yes. then they will let their students do the same thing. It's a modeling. If you could change anything, and of course, kindergartners might be, not be able to write right away, but tell me what it is. And the younger they are, the more honest they are mm-hmm. because they're like, ah, just <laughs> let them say it. And when they get those, when they get to tell you how they really feel, When we stop kids, because we have this idea that, oh, don't let them share their emotions. It's too frou-frou. And oh my gosh, it's bougie, whatever the language is. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) You know you (laughs) want to laugh. If we do that, we are creating a system of trauma. And then they don't know how to be when they go to college. They don't know how to be when they're in a situation at work. We are setting them up for failure in the future. I think that is the huge first next step if I had to tell any site administrator that. So I'll let you go there.
0: Well, there's a lot there. Um, So I've been meeting with local mental health organization and I'm on an advisory board for another one. Who's trying to make really big strides for mental health and wellness for the entire Northern Kentucky community, which is awesome. And one of the things that they they keep saying is I, I know you're connected to schools and want to work with schools and I want that to happen, but we also need to create a stronger workforce. So I want you to work with businesses too who are, are trained to do that. So and then the colleges, so I'm working with the local colleges and going in there and saying, hey let's let's equip our new teachers or teachers who are just starting off with these skills too. And so it is bigger. it is a bigger thing Thought process here to think about all of the roles people are playing and to start with a a prevention in mind, which is going to take time because it's a a whole societal shift, right? But the next step is taking some kind of step. And, And I was thinking when you were talking about that, Mina, I was thinking about that balloon, that balloon activity we did and right. And the session that we did with your staff. And here's what I loved about that. It, it was just a fun, playful thing nobody was expecting, but it had a lot of deep learning discussion, which I know you're dying to say something about. You were there with a few other district leaders among the teachers and support staff. And what that did is that broke down barriers after the 15 minutes that we were together in that circle doing that playful yet really deep, deep activity. So talk about that. And then we can, we can kind of wrap this up because I know the time's
1: getting... It's getting to us. Oh, we're fine It's time. Okay. I could do this all day. Um, and hopefully people stay and listen uh <laughs> or come back and pause or in the car, right? Hopefully they're listening. Um I'm gonna try to remember. So um I you you had me do this secret thing. We we got one balloon yeah. and we asked them and it had something on it, like an emotion of some sort. Mm-hmm. Like anxiety or something, and it, it, am I right? Yes. Um. And then we had that. We just we were in a circle, and we had all of them. They had to keep it off the floor. And as it was going, I started to introduce other things. <laughs> um. It wasn't just anxiety anymore. It was trauma. It was sadness. It was happiness. It was whatever. Um adjective you can come up with I mean there probably were what 20 30 balloons and just so just imagine 25 people doing this trying to keep balloons off the floor and it that led into a huge discussion about what is happening when we're trying to manage things that are going in the classroom when a student is trying to manage teenagers or you know kids with their hormones, they're like, what's happening to me? Oh my gosh, I can't understand why I'm dropping everything. Cause they don't know that their bones are longer than their muscles and they're, you know, the, just things that are happening to their body. And then we're like, why can't you get it together? Cause we're not even thinking. And we forget that that happened, mm-hmm. um, that they're going through these things. Um, just, it was such a, a, an interesting thing to watch everybody and at first it was happy and fun and then it was oh my gosh oh my gosh and people were you know if y- y- you could see me like running to the middle like at first they thought they had to stay in a circle but right. then they realized they had to move around to get things like actions were happening differently and by the time they were finished my my pers- uh, perspective and observation was hearts were palpitating you know, people were breathing harder, they were tired, and some people were, you know, laughing. And there's a difference between laughing because it's fun and laughing as a coping mechanism. There are people that were kind of giggling in a coping mechanism perspective. There's so many things that I was seeing. Not that everybody would see that, but I saw it, and I'm sure you did. Mm -hmm. And talk about what the dialogue was like afterwards. Cause that's what I, I remember the chaos. Cause I was watching the chaos.
0: Yes. Well, and it's about being in a system where we feel that all of those ranges of emotions that come down on us and change moment to moment or can come up and we're not, we don't know how to respond to it. So it's about how we feel like we're in the midst of a chaotic uh, kind of system all the time, but, and we're reacting We're we're reacting and we're trying to keep that balloon up. But then what it led into, Mina, which was awesome, was about how we can lean on each other, how we can notice when one person couldn't manage it, then another person could step in. And so it led to a discussion about who's our dream team, who are we going to lean on, and and how that we can overcome this. So it it Mm -hmm. and and we could have we could have actually done that for two hours. And a lot of times, I I, right, (laughs) I always have to stop that when I work with staff, and it depends on where they are. So. The deep discussion comes from using that as a way to start it in a fun way, but then they, I didn't have to say anything after a while, they start coming out of their shell and then they felt comfortable sharing it with you all as leaders and how important that conversation was for you all to enter that conversation with them.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't, when teachers come to school, um, I had this one teacher uh, when I was a principal that would... You know, there was a con the contract language said they had to be there 10 minutes before the school day started. Uh and there was a pattern that changed. Like um, this particular teacher um was you know coming right when the bell rang. Other teachers were, you know, covering the classroom. And I could have taken that a couple ways. It was, is there, you know, I could have been there, I, I'm not a fan of just writing someone up because they're late. What is what's the question? Mm-hmm. are we asking the right questions or are we creating our own assumptions and then because of that assumption we are dictating what should happen okay. so what is the question that you should be asking before you assume the outcome so the question was uh, or actually is there anything that i can do for you is there um is there something going on that i should know about and I didn't really get to know what that was. However, it, it at least allowed the teacher to process that I need to do something differently because I'm not getting here and I'm allowing it to stop me from getting here. Um, however, what was great is that the team of teachers did support, you know, went to get the students, to, could have just left the students outside, you know, it's elementary, mm-hmm. um, but we're, they were supportive. And I, first of all, as a principal, I appreciated that. But had I had known, I could have been the one to do it. So this other, I mean, I could have done it. And and that's kind of what happens. It's okay to text me. I i want to know. I mean, we would give you permission to be late if there is, California, a fire on the Cahoon Pass for those, I mean, this is like this, for those of you in the United States that saw, you know, back in, I don't know, two thousand. 17, 18, there was this fire that jumped the freeway. We shut it down. Like we couldn't, so people were like, oh, there's fire. Like we give permission for that, but why can't we give permission when things aren't going well at home? Mm -hmm. We, there's really, you know, when you work with a community and try to understand so that you can provide solutions or at least provide a listening ear. We don't always have to provide advice unless asked because advice given that's not wanted is just a waste of time. So we have to take a step back and go, what's the right question? Or are you asking at least, or are you offering a statement, something Just, are you coming from a supportive perspective as a district leader, or are you coming from an evaluative perspective. Because if you are, when it comes down to when you need support, you're going to maybe feel some uh, type of way of, about that. So mm-hmm. that's just how I think about it. That's what I did as a principal. I processed. I I, I mean, unless it's egregious, the, the goal is to be supportive. I mean, you'd have to hit a kid for me to be upset. I mean, I, really to be supportive of the community, giving letting parents know Forgive us if we say a swear word in the classroom, because you know, most of you do at home, but we will call, it was those things, call the, call the parents, call them, let them know I, I slipped up. Those are the things we need to teach and train and provide support with, but that's not always what happens. So, you know, first getting, seeking to understand first is the next step. And then, of course, calling you and Dr. (laughs) Cam.
0: Well, we do love what we're doing, and I know Dr. Cam is excellent about the empathetic listening piece. She talks about that a lot and does that with her own clients. And it it's about keeping that conversation simple because you might want to have those conversations and be supportive, but let's be honest: a lot of us leaders and teachers like we're way too busy to have all those conversations all the time. But the way we address it is to just simplify the process. You came up with a question that you asked. We tell people, use those questions. Keep it very simple. Just ask, what am I missing? And you may not never ever know what you're missing, but the fact that you're asking them that is validating them and that whatever their experience is. And you may never know what their experience is. And you're not primed right. that. So there's there's all of those little pieces, but we're excited to do the work we're doing because we're seeing differences and we're hearing the difference, but we can't get into the schools ourselves and do the work all the time. So what we want to do is make sure people are informed about it. We do book studies and things too, which is great. Um, but eventually we want people to have autonomy. We want them to have this solution that they can just introduce into their schools, but infuse it into everyday practice everybody's capable. Everybody has rock stars among them. So that's part of the long-term plan. It's got to be sustainable if it's going to actually
1: change things. So that's what we're doing. Oh, you know, um, and I, I kind of want to just at least mention that you and I are going to a national conference in San Diego, but I'm, I'm trying to find that it's the February 15th through the I 17th. I that. just yeah, <laughs> I had to look it up. Yes. I was I had to write it down before our session here today. Um, And at this conference, uh, we're going to be doing a roundtable. And I'm always curious if somebody could ask us a question, if they could respond to even this, what questions would they have for us um, when it comes to um, well-being, social-emotional learning, uh, connectedness, uh, self-awareness, self-efficacy? Um, sense of belonging, because it's not just about the learning. It's about what are you going to do with this learning so that we can, because our our primary goal as educators is to teach and make sure that students are learning, you know, the students own their learning, but can they own their learning if they can't even own their own control of themselves and can teachers actually teach if they can't even function because they are becoming overwhelmed with the way that, you know, after COVID that kids are just like, feeling, you know, over, they're feeling overwhelmed. They don't feel connected. And they may have gone, they may have lost parents. They may have lost siblings um, during this time. Like it wasn't the norm. So, you know, what questions would people ask of us, you know, um, at this round table? Because we're doing um two, correct? Correct. Yes. Two 30 minute
0: sessions. And we get to sit with superintendents all across California, who are there to see what we can do to support the work that they're trying to do with mental health and wellness. And it is about the partnerships. That's part of what we're we're sharing with them is how these partnerships are going to help them reduce the burden. And that's where we come in is I I love to tell school counselors this and school social workers this. We want to come in and, and allow, uh, we want to provide relief to your school mental health system so that you can actually do the work that you are there to do so that your caseloads aren't so high. And how do we do that? Well, we equip teachers so that they can keep the kids in their classrooms with them. That's something I ended up being really good at because I was skilled at doing that. And so kids wanted to stay in the space with me and I know how to keep them there. So they're not missing learning and they're not running to the office or to the school counselor every second, something goes wrong that I don't know how to deal with. And I'm not solving big problems. I'm keeping them there, I'm building the trust and they wanted to show up. I had kids who were traveling, who would just like, cause I taught high schoolers and some seniors who knew what classes they needed and didn't need to graduate or what they needed to do. But some of them would just make sure they'd come into our class because they loved what we were doing there. And, and that there's a lot of teachers who create that space. But I guess what I'm saying is it's important we understand that partnership is sometimes bringing outside people when there's a disconnect in the system who will help bridge the gap with the leadership team and the teachers. Because if you have mental health people coming in, right. talking about mental health without a teacher lens or that classroom experience, they're not going to list. They're going to roll their eyes. Dr. Cam and I always have the eye roll test because I have that background. And I remember being <laughs> that person sitting there rolling my eyes. So now that's what I'm trying right? to
1: do from my perspective. Yes. Right. You know, and we we're, Um, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I, I really, I do appreciate when we bring in educators that have a lens from the educator perspective because you've lived it. I mean, you've told some of your stories, um, about, you know, a student triggering you, but there was, you know, background knowledge that you didn't, weren't even aware of. And so, you know, even, even as educators, we, we have to listen, However, I am more, I honestly am more apt to listen if somebody knows my experience, Uh, even as a leader. Like, do you know what I went through? Do you know what it felt like to be spit on um, or almost spit on because it was a full-on brawl as an administrator? Like, that's an, like, administrators need this training, too, for themselves as leaders. Um, And even we do as district leaders, because we need to support them when they're like, I can't, like, can you come and help support me? And we, you know, co-administer with them, or if they need a break, like there's this assumption that they can do it all. I mean, no, that is not true. I mean, that's huge um, to have those conversations. And I wanted, so this conference, it's, okay, it's the American Association of School Administrators. And our roundtable, I want to just mention is on the 16th. February 16th, um, from 1245 to 145. Like, we get two. And um, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm excited about it. I'm hoping to hear what people are saying and what they're doing. Even in our district, we hi- hired mental therapists and more counselors. Every, here's, we hired, every elementary school has um, a counselor. We really wanted to get in front of what's best for our kids because it, it was just too much. However, what we did with uh, Thriving Schools is, Thriving, Thriving School Community, you, Charlie, and Dr. Cam, um, was to bring you in because it's a weight, like we could not, me trying to teach S, uh, some type of SEL or restorative practices and do everything else, I'm overwhelmed. So we bring in partners that can do that. For example, Um and it's been going great. And, and of course, we, we partner with other systems that do our data, like Panorama and things like that. But those are things that help us get in front of it. And teachers, I mean, our teachers were very happy that we, we looked at the surveys with that. And my hope is to really hear what other people are doing so that we can be informed. So because we, we shouldn't even as districts work in isolation with that. So mm-hmm. um, any thoughts about that? True. Yeah. I, absolutely. That's the thing. Is we there's always the
0: same theme. Is we have to have connection. We can't be doing these things alone. There's a loneliness epidemic, and that exists in high, and that exists in education. That exists among leaders. I know nationally, superintendents are stepping out too a lot, and I keep hearing about that. And principals. It's not just our teachers. We keep hearing about. So we need to keep people in their positions to help the future generations really combat this thing and come together. It's about coming together to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there there anything else that you think we need to mention before we wrap it up so that people know, feel confident about what to do next. Yeah,
1: um I'm going to say give a plug to follow Charlie on TikTok. I don't know what your handle is cuz it's so <laughs> I love all the strategies that we've learned. You're doing some of those tips and tricks there. <laughs> yeah. Um you can follow me on TikTok too. It's just my name Mina J Blazy, but on YouTube it's MJ Blazy B L A Z Y. And follow yeah. us so that, you know, and share your thoughts. Tell us what you're doing to Work with students, work with um, teachers, families, the community, principals, site leaders, and the district as a whole so that we understand what we need to do for the well being of all of the educational partners so that we can educate and do what we were there to do because the objective is to make sure that we are creating an environment where students feel like they have access to the knowledge and they don't feel like they have to fight for it. So that's that's the last thing I would probably say. and I'm appreciative of you, Charlie, allowing me to do this podcast with you. it's it's fun. It's yeah. so much fun. I yeah. mean, for us, it's a, for me, it's a Saturday morning. It's now afternoon for you because I'm in California and you're on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, but I'm I, I want to say thank you, Charlie, for this. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that
0: too. and it just shows you how we can be. A, on different sides of the country and still work together well. That's great. You know, we are not leaving here until you tell people the incredible innovative work that you're doing with not only AI, but you're you're supporting people in a lot of different ways. You've got to tell people about that. And you have to tell people about the speaking that you do because people need to hear more of your messaging through leadership. You are so innovative and have such vision that is absolutely making changes and waves in education. Okay, so talk about the the work that you're doing with, I will say, technology
1: and the okay. speaking. So um, I, that's a good quote. I'm glad you said that. Um, I, my passion is to increase the self-efficacy and perceptions of girls in STEM and uh, their career interest, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. That's my heart. And I really love doing that, even as a principal and assistant principal. I want girls to have access to that and feel like they can um, become a doctor, um, an engineer, uh, computer scientist, because typically by the time they leave middle school, they are like, this isn't for me, it's for boys. And we know that this is true. The data shows it's true. If you were to read my dissertation, it's in there too. Um, You can Google it. The other thing that uh, I am really trying to get in front of is the future of AI and really helping administrators and parents and students know that we should be using it as a tool and not a transaction. And I say that um, cautiously because there's a, there is an ethics piece behind it. and and I want people to know that yes, you know there are AIs that right now, and there are people that don't have, actually a majority of educators still don't know what it is yeah. what what we're ta- what I'm talking about it's a generative pre-trained transformer former, meaning i can type in talk to a bot and i can ask it to create a lesson plan with some parameters and it will do it it will do it mm-hmm. so and and it will even write articles for you and Actually, it could take a student's homework assignment and spit out the homework assignment. So, there's an I want to help educators see the ethics piece in it and how to use it, um, where it's a tool and not a transaction, where you know, aka cheating. I mean, literally, uh, and, and it's bigger than life, there, and I and it really is. And I'll just give you an example. Um, my daughter is uh studying for the MCAT, and she puts parameters in, and it tests her. Like, it's not going to do the test for her because she physically has to be there. But just simple things, my mind, simple, but how to use it appropriately. So that's one thing that I'm doing. I'm also, I'm an identical twin. I highly recommend it. Just kidding. (laughs) I'm the youngest. (laughs) She's all of two minutes and 22 seconds older than me. Mm -hmm. But we have spoken um, around the country together on um, the just equity and education and the crossroads of real estate and education, looking at who's in your community. Are you serving your community? She comes from the legal perspective and as a a real estate agent. And we talk about gentrification and the communities are changing and how do we as educators adapt to the change? Uh, Because whatever your community looked like a year ago, will look different in a few years, especially if you're a growing area. And then are we serving the people, the students that um, are coming to us or are we still servicing the people that were living there 20 years ago? And they may live in the community, but they're not going to school there because they've since left or graduated. So those are just some of the things that I'm working on. Yes, I'm on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and a whole bunch of other places. Um, But those are just a, a few of the things that I'm doing. <laughs> yes, I know you're doing a ton, but
0: again, people listening, you see how innovative Dr. Mina is, Dr. Mina Joe Blasey, I will say. Um, and and the vision, I love the vision because we're not just sitting here doing nothing. Like taking action is what's going to make change. That's the social worker part of me coming out, but we do have to advocate and we do have to adapt and adjust to what's being thrown at us. AI is not going away. And so you're nope. teaching, right? You're teaching the leaders, the teachers, how to implement it in a way that teaches kids something much deeper than how am I going to cheat with this? It's ethically, how can I use this as a tool and shift their thinking? Of course, kids are going to still cheat, but we can work around that and, and try to get ahead of it. So your tools and the things that you're um, sharing there, they are super helpful. So I, I have all of all of those listed on the show notes. But if somebody wants to reach out to you directly, Dr. Blazy, where do you want them to go? Like, where should they
1: go? um if they want to reach out to me directly it's easy it's my first name mina m is in mary i n a at minablazy.com that's pretty easy. that's easy and and let me spell it um mina and then b l a z y it literally says be lazy and no don't be lazy but i i had i had a student actually say to me does that mean you're lazy like be lazy like i had to laugh but yeah i could have been triggered i wasn't but M-I-N-A-B-L-A-Z-Y. Mina Be Lazy. That way you don't forget. Mina at MinaBlazy.com. Either that or they tell me that Mina, like in the book Dracula, there's so many things, but yeah. That's really funny. I've known you for a
0: few years now and I
1: never thought of it. I never thought of it. You just put that in my yeah. mind. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, I had to read the book because I was like, okay, who is who is Wilhelmina? And I do get that. People think my name is Willamina. I was named after Philomena, but it's just Mina. Mina.
0: All right. Well, thank you for being here. I truly appreciate you and the work you're doing and the work we get to do together in the future. I really do. No, thank you. Did you get your school mental health audit yet? You can get it at thrivingeducator.org forward slash audit. And if you're working on mental health PD planning, check out all the ways we can support you while you're there on our website already. It's just under professional development. And listen, if you found value in today's episode, please share it in your network for those who will benefit. And if you could give it a rating and review it, that would be great. We really appreciate you. Thanks for listening.